Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. Episode 151 today, we've got Alec Torelli. So we'll be joining the interview that I had with Alec. Uh, some really good stuff in there. I think you're gonna, going to really enjoy it uh, today. A couple of really high-level announcements. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, we are starting a weekly group coaching program geared at recreational new players. So this is for folks who are saying, man, I like the rec poker stuff, but still over my head. So this is geared toward newer players. We're actually going to be doing two live group coaching sessions every Monday, one at 8 a.m. and one at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So you can jump on there if you're a member. Uh, the links are all in the members area. You can jump on there. You can engage, ask questions, uh, whatever you want to do there. Uh, we are going to record those and make those available to the membership as well. But that's a new development actually starting today, Monday, October 14th. Uh, by the time this is released, you'll already have missed at least one, if not two. But it's going to be happening every Monday. And again, as a member, you can get access to all of the older ones. But this is a chance for you to really start to learn the game in a real non-intimidating way. And I'll be leading those discussions, and I'm really excited about it. A few other things, um, we still have the two things going on. Discord is the free community available to anyone and everyone. You can jump on there, join the discussion, a lot of great stuff going on there. The membership site is where you can pay $9.99 a month and get access to all of our content, have an opportunity to co-create, get invited to all of the other events that we have going on. A lot of great stuff. You can have a one-month free trial too, so you can check it out, see if you like it. Uh, both of those are accessible through rec.poker. So if you go there, all of the information is there. All the links are there. Um, update on our NFL survivor pool. We did lose four more people this week. So we're down to 11 people uh, who are remaining uh, vying for the title there. Uh, I should also mention uh, the player of the week at Running Aces. I uh, Myself uh, actually took down the player of the week this week with 30 points, uh, followed by Joey Douglas, Dan Shogren, Bernie Conkey, and Randall Prokowitz. Uh, so Bernie and Randall tied for fourth. So they both get tournament lammers as well. And then just a couple other things besides the group coaching stuff coming up, a couple things that I want you to be aware of. Uh, this Wednesday, October 16th, is our second monthly um, breakdown of an MSPT final table. So we replay the whole MSPT final table, and we give commentary from a rec perspective. And if you want to be part of that, all the members can jump into that deal. Um, you can listen in, you can ask questions, you can chat, and occasionally we can we can have you actually join the panel on some of those spots. Uh, it's, it's really a fun time. We had a blast doing it last time. Uh, that's Wednesday. We're going to start at 6.45 p.m. Central Time, but you could just join for some or all of it as you're able. And then next week, uh, October 21st, that Monday, we're going to be interviewing Tommy Angelo and Lee Jones. So if you want to be part of that deal, uh, let me know. Uh, otherwise, just stay plugged in. Uh, I've got a weekly, uh, I call it the twerp this week in Rec Poker, a newsletter that goes out by email. So you can join the email uh, group through rec.poker. Uh, and that's the, probably the easiest way to stay updated. Otherwise, Twitter, Facebook, that sort of thing. So with, without further ado, uh, here is the interview that I just did with Alec Torelli. All right, everybody. Well, as promised, we are here with Alec Torelli once again. I know Alec was on the show earlier and uh, people really enjoyed it, and he was gracious enough to give us some more time. So, Alec, first of all, just welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. I can't believe it's been over a year. It's crazy. It, it has been a long time, I know. And I remember when we first chatted, I was like, hey, this is awesome, and we got to get him on regular on a regular basis, and we just haven't reconnected since then. So I'm sure there's a few things that have been 
going on in your world. So I'd, I'd love to first just kind of catch up. And now are you, are you still in Italy right now or where are you calling in from? Yes. Uh, so I'm in Italy now. It's afternoon here. And um, I just got back. I was in a five month trip to the U.S., where I did New York and then, of course, Vegas for the World Series. Went out to L.A. to see some family and play on live at the bike. Uh, took a long road trip around uh, the national parks with my in-laws, which was amazing. Oh. And back to New York and Boston for some coaching, uh, meeting up with some clients, and uh, then came back to Italy. So it was an incredible trip, um, very dynamic, and uh, did a little bit of everything. It was amazing. So so the national park deal, is is there one that just stood out, or is there a single experience or a single park or anything that was just like, man, that was the ticket? Yeah, we so we saw quite a bit. We drove from Vegas, uh, thirty three hundred miles up to through Utah, and then up through Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and back down to California. Wow. We saw Bryce, Zion, Yellowstone, Grand Teton, and some other uh, state parks along the way. But I think the coolest thing we did was get up at five a.m. in Jackson, Wyoming, and drive through Wyoming through Yellowstone National Park. And then ended the day in Gardner, um, Montana, and slept there. That was an incredible day. We got to see animals on the side of the road, um, everything from bears to bison, to, you know, moose, and it was just incredible. And um, so many beautiful memories just from that day alone. Awesome, awesome. And then the World Series. How did that go? Any any luck out there, or what was your what did that? What I guess generally kind of what was your schedule and um, and what yeah, were your so results? I was. I was pretty busy. I, I flew into LA um, from New York to be on a, a show called Brain Games. Um, and so we, we did this, we, we did this uh, thing where you had to test like whether you can keep a poker face w- while drinking or eating these like, disgusting <laughs> things. And the, the host, Keegan-Michael Kay, had to guess uh, whether, you know, who drank the disgusting thing and who drank the normal thing. I was there with Liv Bari, Igor, um, and, and, and Wayne. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then uh, I, flew out, I went out to Vegas the next day. I did a keynote for a, a group of women called Poker Queens. They were in a documentary, which will be released on Amazon this um, fall about uh, women in poker and like working with their image and, and, and how they can uh, use that and, and the, the basic skills in, in tournament poker to, um, to do well in the World Series. And then I was coaching for five days in a row. So I had five different clients, maybe like five clients in six days or something like that. Um, and then I played the main event. And so that was my schedule out there. It was pretty dynamic doing a lot of, yeah. a lot of different things. But um, I was just focused on the main. I didn't really have any desire to play any other tournaments. Uh, and I knew I would play some cash games afterwards um, on Live at the Bike. So I just focused strictly on tournaments while I was there and then coaching and then speaking. and then. Um, some time away with the family afterwards. Is, is that pretty typical now of sort of your, your poker world is playing as a pretty small, relatively small portion of, of your poker career. The rest of it is, is the coaching or the speaking or the other business side of things. Yeah. So, I mean, as I've um, spent more time creating content and sharing things I've learned and, and speaking on, and, and usually when I'm doing speaking, it's not on poker strategy. It's about like, right lessons I've learned in poker that apply to life and business. I spoke in a marketing conference or Cisco or th- those sorts of things. Um, so I'm spending, you know, more and more time doing those sorts of things as well. At the same time, playing and competing at poker is still very important to me. I still want to be, you know, compete at a high level and be the best that I can and compete with myself and, and, you know, 
be a professional. So I played a, a lot this year online. We, I was playing on a Chinese app and that was a lot of fun and it really kept me sharp, kept me in shape uh, poker wise. Um, and then also I feel like doing a lot of uh, review and studying. So I do coaching and then I have, of course, the membership at Conscious yeah. Poker where in the Facebook group alone, I'm reviewing, you know, at least a hand or two a day from members that submit hands uh, and then doing the strategy videos in there also helps me be a better player because you're forced to distill your thoughts and strategies down to something that anyone can understand. And that process alone makes you better at understanding your own thoughts. And then I could take those things with me to the table. So a lot of times I get ideas that I didn't really have before that I maybe wasn't as consciously aware of that this was the process I was doing from a question that a student asks me. And so they'll say, how do you deal mentally with this sort of situation? And then I'll be like, well, how do I deal mentally with it? And then so I answer it. And then now I have the process, right? I have it down into a sentence or two, and then I can use that with me uh, the next time I play at the table. So I, there's many examples of this that I've, I've come up with through coaching. Uh, one of them is my hand reading system where like, this is my process for hand reading and, and, and um, my mental sort of routine at the table. So I am spending a lot of time playing because I, I, I still believe it's important to um, stay in tune with what's going on. So playing this year online, I noticed a lot of different trends in 2019. Uh, that led me to make a video called the top five moves to win at poker in 2019, which I put out after playing about a month online, um, which was one of the most popular videos this year on my YouTube. And so I feel like that's important, you know, to, to, to have the balance between, of course, sharing the things I've learned and, and coaching and building the brand and the business, which is, which is fun. And it's, it's a balance for me, but then it's also important for me to still be able to compete at that, that, that high level. And so that was part of why I wanted to be on live at the bike and play the world series and things like that. Very cool. So, so I want to get into some specific strategy stuff at some point here, but I, I really, I'm, I'm curious, last time we didn't really talk about sort of the, the genesis of conscious poker, like, you know, it's an interesting name. I think it's a catchy name. It's one of those where you're like, okay, what is that? I'm interested. What are we talking about? So, so give us a quick little history or background or context for Conscious Poker, which is your, your membership site. Yeah, well, thanks for the question. And um, so I, had a, I, I always was producing poker content. I mean, not always, but since 2014 or something. But I never really had like clear about what I wanted my message to be and what I wanted to be known for and the things that I really wanted to share in poker um, that, that go beyond just poker strategy. And um, somewhere around 2017, I got just through the process of giving keynotes. Uh, I did one at a marketing conference in Oregon and um, really trying to distill down like what is it that really poker has taught me about life and what is it that it's taught me that I actually use in the way that shaped the way I see the world. I did drop out of school at 18. And so poker has largely been like the experiences I've had from poker and the things that I've learned from the strategies of the game have been responsible for some of the ways that I've seen the world. And so I wanted to call it conscious poker because I wanted first and foremost people to be aware that, um, that, that they were dealt a winning hand in life. And that was one of the messages of my keynotes that, you know, half the world, and I got to see this firsthand going to Asia. I lived in Macau for three years uh, and we traveled a lot extensively around Southeast Asia and it's one of those statistics you hear, you know, thrown around that half the world lives on 250 a day. But but we were in a village in Cambodia. I have new, numerous examples of this, but it really hit home for me being in a village in Cambodia. We were on a, a tour um, of the local city, and we got to see like what that actually looks like. And you would you would observe the the locals spending, you know, 
most of their day, like climbing trees to try and get food or filtering iron out of a pot so they could drink water. And like, there's someone there that's my age. And the only difference between me and them is that they were born there and I was not. And so that's the hand that you were dealt in life. You know, that's not any merit of how you played it. That's just luck. And so I wanted conscious poker to embody that idea and, and many more, but that's, that's one of the core ones is just the role of luck in poker has taught me a lot about the role of luck in life. And luck is not distributed evenly as many people that play poker know. You can be the best player in the world and bust early, or you can just be lucky and win the main event. And, and so when you keep that in mind, it's like people complain all the time about losing coin flips. It's very common. Like, oh, I never win my flips. But if you think that like there was a 50-50 chance before you were born that you could have been born on 250 a day and your, your whole life is spent in that reality, like you already won the biggest coin flip in life. So that's a compelling message that I really want to share. And I'm inspired to do more of that uh, through my brand and content. If you follow me on social, you've probably seen content to reflect that idea and, and, and many more. Well, I think we need to talk offline because I would love to have you. The other thing I do is called Black Rhino Living. I'll put a plug in here too. And it's really about, sure. it's really about that. It's about how do we live our most fulfilling lives. And I've been to Rwanda four times. I've been among the poorest of the poor and uh, seen the same things That's that you've crazy. seen in, in, some, in some degree. And you're right. You know, when you just say it, it's one thing. When you see it and experience it and you realize this could just as well be me, uh, it, it brings it to a new light. So I love what you're doing there. I love your message. I think we should talk offline about uh, yeah, some, let's some do it. that stuff. Uh, so well, conscious poker being yeah. consciously aware of uh, the the hand that we were dealt already, and now how do we? Yeah, and then we, yeah, obviously taking it to the poker strategy, just being right. conscious of the decisions you make. Like, right. okay, um, be conscious of your image. Like, is this guy actually going to bluff me? What is my image at the table? Like, what is his mood in this moment? Is he winning and about to quit? Okay, he might be a VIP and a maniac, but if he's up $700 and quitting the next hand, he's probably not bluffing this hand. So being conscious of the things that are going on at the table also applies, I feel like, strategically to the poker game. Yeah. Um, so being, being of your image of being, locked, yeah. you know, taking in all the information and actually just really being present and being aware. Huh? Being yeah, being present, being aware of like what, you know, your intentions are for the session and what your goals are or if you should be playing in this game, you know, asking yourself mm -hmm. the difficult questions and and really being objective uh, about, about your poker playing as a whole. So Yeah, love it, love it. Well, Thanks. unfortunately, I'm going to shift over to strategy stuff, but this is really good. No, no, I love it. That conversation online, but offline. But yeah, if this is sort of resonating with you sort of with your personal life or just sort of this general context of how you play and you realize, oh, I'm not really as aware, as conscious as I should be. Man, check Alex's stuff out. He's been doing this for a long time, had a lot of good results. And, uh, and I think you can add a ton of value to your game. So check that out. But let's switch to, uh, I guess, the one of the one of the things that we've started doing here with the Rec Poker community is having general themes for the month. You know, we stray or whatever, but in general, uh, one of the things that we're talking about during this month is, you know, how do we play small and middle pairs from early and middle position? Um, you know, and yeah, big topic. Yeah, it's a huge topic. And that's where, you know, we kind of grab pieces of it here and there and try to grab insights here and there. We know we're not going to develop a full blown you know gto strategy on this but you know as you know our audience is recreational players which is a broad range as well everything from the people that have, are playing bar leagues and only home games all the way through to people who are playing maybe you know the 1100s uh, the 2000s that sort of thing uh, but our, our target our target is sort of those folks playing the 50 to 150 dollar tournament at the local casino so 
you know, when we talk about things, that's sort of the context that we're talking about. And a lot of people, a lot of the questions that I get is, I just don't know what, to, I mean, I, I pick up pocket fives and under the gun plus one, or I pick up, you know, pocket sevens in middle position. And, you know, I bet they call and the flop comes king, queen, three. And I, I just totally feel lost. And so I think there, people are looking for just sort of those general principles uh, obviously, there's not one answer to say, here's how you play pocket fours under the gun. Um, but, yeah, and if there were, poker would be like be tic-tac-toe. <laughs> right, you know, exactly. It would be solved. So you you actually don't, as much as I feel like people might be looking for that silver right. bullet, you actually don't want that because if we had that, you wouldn't have poker right. as it is. So it's important right. to keep that perspective, I feel like, first and foremost. Um, the second thing is I, I feel like there can be a, enough material to to do a, at least a, a course on this <laughs> or, or a book. Multiple courses. Um, yes. So it's also hard to cover in the scope of like a short thing. And it's, right. it's very hard to apply generalizations as well. Yeah, are there any, um, so I guess like, so I guess it boils down to, you know, are there any like principles in, you know, pick a Yeah, that's what or, I'd like to focus on. Yeah, exactly. In my teaching as well, it's, it's mainly like conceptual based learning. So I focus not on just, okay, this is how you should play this hand, right? Don't, right. don't memorize a, a formula. Don't think like, okay, I have fours under the gun and I'm going to do this. Think about like the concepts behind it because that's something that you can apply when the situation inevitably changes. No two situations are the same in poker. So you're never going to memorize your way to winning. Right. right. You, can't, you can't memorize every move on a chessboard. You have to understand chess strategy. Like control the center is the concept behind opening strategy. So once you understand control the center, it's easier to understand not to move your A pawn. So in the, in the same vein, in poker, um, your, your, your strategy is going to depend strictly on like your stack size. So early stages of a tournament is much different than later stages of a tournament. And that's typically because the stack size in the early stages of a tournament is so much deeper. Therefore playing these small to medium pairs have so much more value. Now there's a, there's also a big distinction between small pairs and medium pairs. And I think small pairs are like twos through fives and medium pairs are like sixes through nines, maybe tens. Um, so there's also a, a big distinction there because the, the strict value of the, middle pairs is so much higher than the smaller pairs. And so you can play more of those middle pairs from any position, whereas the smaller players are much more contingent on position in general, independent of stack size. So for example, eights would be played under the gun, but twos would not. So that's a positional uh, factor. So position is one of the things to keep in mind. And that the further along you are in position, the more of these pairs that you could play down the ladder, right? So you're always gonna play maybe like eights and above, and then second position, maybe like eights and above, sevens and above, third position, sevens, and then like fifth position, you can play like sixes and then fives and fours and threes and twos as you move towards the button. If you want specifics on this, um, I believe we talked about linking the, the conscious poker preflop charts in the show notes. You can download those for free and you can see exactly which hands to play in which position, both for nine max and six max if you're the first one in the pot. Uh, and then typical strategy is always to raise or fold. But um, and while that is like the game theory optimal, otherwise known as GTO strategy, this is like how the book would say to play it. There are many times in poker where I feel like, especially in these smaller mid-stakes games, where uh, adopting a limping strategy makes sense, in particular with these types of hands. And so let's say you have like, you know, especially limping behind another limper. So if someone right. limps, 
you know, you typically want to raise or fold, but like if someone limps in second position and you're in third position with sixes, limping makes a lot of sense in that spot. So the preflop charts, to be fair, are only for raising or folding, but we did include a quick start guide, which tells you kind of how to deviate from those charts and like uses examples of situations where you might want to limp or depending on who's at your table, position you're in, your stack size, etc. Um, so the other thing to keep in mind is the stack sizes. So in the early stages, you can play a lot more hands because these, these small and middle pairs, typically you're playing them to hit a set to win a big pot. So you're not playing them for the absolute value of their hand like you would with tens. You're playing them for the implied value of their hand, meaning the potential they have to win a big pot if you were to make three of a kind. Now that only happens about one in seven, one in eight times. So you need to make sure that there's a lot of chips left that you can win to compensate for the fact that you don't make trips that often. That typically happens when you're deep stacked, meaning like 60 big blinds, 50 big blinds, 60 big blinds or more. So in the early stages of a tournament, you're always, you're usually always within this stack depth. And so playing these small and middle pairs is a lot better. Whereas later in the tournament, when you're like 30 or like 20 big blinds or something like that, and you're in push fold mode, um, you're going to be a lot more selective with which of these hands to play. Another great resource for like small and middle pairs in push fold mode poker um, is a app called Preflop Plus, and it'll tell you which hands you want to shove with and reshove with um, as your stack depth gets smaller. So you can you can say, okay, I have 25 big blinds, mid position opens, I'm on the button with sevens what should I do? And it'll tell you whether it's profitable or not to shove all in. And so that's another great resource for how to play the pairs, smaller pairs, as you um, decrease in stack depth because you're more of in a push fold mode. So those are some of the concepts to keep in mind. Uh, of course, there's more we can get into. I'll answer some specific questions too, but those are like the overarching types of strategy. Yeah, no, that that's great. And I think that's that's one of the things that people aren't as consciously aware of um, things like, um, you know, from a recreational perspective, like the, the stack, of, the stack sizes. Uh, I think people still struggle with this, even though, you know, there's all kinds of rules out there, but let's just take pocket sixes, middle position sort of thing. Uh, it, you okay. know, when, when you're, when you're deep, like you're saying, when you're deep, you're sort of looking for the implied odds. So you still might raise or whatever, but you're looking to play, you know, play, get in a little bit cheaper and try to flop a set and stack some. Yeah. So there's yeah, sort of this sure. range where you're kind of playing the implied odds. And then at some point, uh, there's a transition down to, okay, I'm in shove or fold mode. And whether that's 20 big blinds in bigger tournaments, it might be 10 or 12 big blinds in the smaller tournaments just because the structures are so fast, you get there quicker. I don't know, whatever that number is. But is, is there some sort of a, a middle? I think, I think there's this middle range where I think people are even more uncomfortable. So like, if I'm, if I'm 100 big blinds deep, I kind of know how to play pocket sixes. I'm going to play them for a set and then just get away and not worry about it generally. Um, and if I'm, you know, at eight big blinds, I'm going to shove them. But is there this middle position where I think people feel uncomfortable? Like if I'm at 20, 22 big blinds, like I feel like I shouldn't just be limping and folding. I feel like I shouldn't be raising and folding. I feel like I shouldn't be set mining. I feel like it's too big to shove. <laughs> is, is that true? Is there sort of this range where it's like maybe folding is the best option or help, help us kind of think through that? Or is it pretty much pretty binary? Either it's more of an applied odds player. It's more of a I'm just going to. No, it's definitely not binary. There's there's like this nuanced sort of artistic place in the middle, and uh, that's where a lot of the experience comes into play. But I think what you have to look for in in a tournament is just like how the table is actually playing, and 
what you're trying to accomplish with your raise with a smaller medium pair. So for example, if you're in a situation where you have uh, sixes in mid position and nobody's going to call preflop, they're either going to shove all in or fold, then don't open unless your open is profitable enough to call a shove. So for example, if you have, you know, 25 big lines and everyone behind you has uh, like 20 and if you open, they're just going to shove or fold, then you have to be aware that like you're opening with the prep, with the plan of calling a shove. Otherwise it doesn't make that much sense to open. You might just be better off just pitching your hand, especially if you're close to something like the money. You know, if you're, if you, may, you might make a tight fold in early position because of the stack sizes, because of the way that the hand is actually going to play. Um, so in, in situations like that, I'm going to be a lot tighter with those smaller pairs because they, you're just not going to realize your value from them. Um, in other situations where people are playing a lot tighter, I might open a little bit wider. And then if it's going to get folded around to the big line, who's going to defend, if that's like the most likely dynamic that's going on at your table, which is also another very common turn, tournament mm-hmm. dynamic. People are playing very tight. Maybe you have 25 big lines, but other people have like 35 or 40. They're not going to really, they're not really, nobody's really three betting you or putting you to the test. Opening is, is a fine strategy. If it gets folded to the big blind who calls, you can see bet on favorable boards to protect your equity. If the board comes 10-5 deuce, you can see bet, protect your equity, get him to fold out two random cards and win the pot. And that's a fine strategy to adopt as well. So there, there is a caveat here though. I think there, there's, there's definitely a difference between, like I said, deuces and fives and then like sixes and nines. Mm-hmm. Um, with the former, you're almost always going to have third pair. With the latter, you're going to have like mid pair or saved in second pair sometimes. And that makes a huge difference in terms of your equity. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind too is like as your stacks are deeper, I know we talked about, we're deviating a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I covered this. Um, when you're when you're deeper, having having hands like middle pairs are so much better than having smaller pairs. Not only because the obvious you you are less likely to get on the bottom side of set to set, but because when you do hit a set with a deuce, for example, uh, it's a card that doesn't help people have any equity. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a right. two on the board, there's very little connectivity between that card and your opponent's range, meaning you're less likely to get action when you flop a set. But if you flop a set of six, sixes or sevens, you know that seven it could be connected to an eight or a five or a nine or, or a 10, giving someone a draw or, or giving someone two pair because they play cards that are around those middling cards. And then the higher up your pair goes, the more likely they are to have a card that's connected to that. Um, so I think that's another important thing to keep in mind as the stack depths increase, but also just even with a medium stack or a shorter stack, uh, there is definitely a distinction between deuces and fives and then sixes and up. That's really good. That's really good. And, and which, which then leads into when you're determining your bet sizes or your actions post-flop, you know, the, the likelihood that somebody connected with a card that, you know, you're using is, is a consideration as well. And so there's a bigger chance that you're going to be able to, yeah, get a, get a big pot there with those bigger pairs. Yeah, definitely. I, that's, that's the, yeah. So not only yeah. are you less likely to be on the side of getting coolered with set right. over set, but right. you're more likely to have someone have equity, which is how you make money, right? You need someone to have equity. Right. They need somebody to have needs a draw something. or two pair. Yeah. They need to have something. So that's important. So, so I'm curious now in your, in your thought process, kind of this overall paradigm of how you play the game. Um, you know, one of the questions we get quite a bit too is, is how do, how do I process information? So, you know, week after week, we have these conversations and now every week we're producing all kinds of community-based content and discussions and all these things. And I think some of the newer people are like, okay, there's, there's a ton. Okay, apparently I'm supposed to know like 
85 things for every decision. I um, know it's, uh, yeah, it's overwhelming, <laughs> you know, especially as you listen to some of the, the higher level folks like yourself, you know, it's getting a GTO and some of these things, you know, Oh, frequencies and all these things. But just in general, I think one of the questions people have is how do I process all this information? Like, is there a framework? So I'm kind of curious either your general framework or a framework that you recommend to your students. So, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking like say pocket six is like we said, a middle position. Are you, are you, processing all the information kind of on an ongoing basis. So you already know, okay, I'm going to be opening this range. Or are you, you know, you're, you're consciously aware of everything, but you look down, you see pocket sixes, and now you sort of are processing all processing sixes in the context to decide what your move is. So in other words, I guess That's the question, question is, are you sort of already, you know, you already predefined what you're going to do given, you know, you're, you're factoring in all the table dynamics, you're, you know, all of those things. So you know what your range is, or are you sort of processing once you know what your hand is? That's a great question. So one of the exercises I go through with clients is, is helping them go through what I call a power routine. And it's, um, it, it's a little off topic to get into here, but it's basically this process to help people get present to focus on every, all the elements available in real time to make the best decision possible. So instead of worrying about what happened at last hand or being mentally in a, in a place where they're focused on the mistake they just made or the bad luck that just happened or checking their phone or whatever, they're here and now focused on what they can do to get the most out of this individual hand. And so what I recommend is having a real-time audit of the situation at the table because every single hand is a new puzzle. You're in a different position. Or for example, there's a different player in the big blind or there's now a different player to your left. Let's say you were on the cutoff and now you're in the hijack. Well, now suddenly there's two players to your left, not one. And while that's obvious, who is the new player that's to your left on the button? Is that player going to three bet you often because he's the big stack? Or is he very tight, allowing you to basically realize the same situation as the hand before, technically being in the cutoff because they're not going to play a hand unless they're weak? Now, who is or unless they have a strong hand? Now, who is the big blind? Is he a, is he an absolute shark or is he uh, overfolding a uh, knit? So that all these things dictate how you're going to make a decision in real time, whether you're going to open that marginal hand like fours in the hijack, for example. Like it, it, it might be profitable in terms of chippy to open, like it might be profitable open, but when you have 25 or 30 big blinds, like you're, you're trying to focus on like, is this situation worth deviating from the charts, right? You're trying to make the best right. decision in real time, not answer the question correctly like a gto friggin robot like who cares about that you're trying to say should i open this hand or not or more broadly you're trying to say like what you said steve like should my range here be wide or narrow and those are the big picture questions i'm trying to answer every single hand but it starts with that focus of saying okay what is unique about this hand what is my strategy who's to my left who's in the big blind starting to analyze and put together all the different variables available at your disposal to make a real-time decision and being aware that every single hand is a new puzzle. And every single hand, the strategy will change. The chip stacks have changed. The players have changed. The positions have changed. And so I'm trying to get first and foremost a snapshot of, okay, am I going to be opening wide here or narrow? And I'm not trying to get exactly what that is. I'm just trying to get the overarching strategy so that when I get dealt a hand that's marginal and I know that I'm going to be extra tight in this scenario, I might fold it. Uh, And then not that many hands fall within that in-between section where it's like a really tough decision. Most hands are pretty black and white, especially given your overarching strategy. Uh, And the second thing I'm looking for in that real-time scenario is like, what am I going to do if someone opens ahead of me? So I'm trying to cross the bridges that I'm inevitably going to face before so that when I make a decision in real time, it's conscious. It's not emotional. 
right? So I don't want to look down at fours and be like, oh, I have two fours. Now you're in, you're in first person and you're connected to the fact that you have a pair and you want to play, not taking into account what actually is happening in strategically in real time. So I'm also going to look to my left. If I'm, you know, in the cutoff, I'm going to say, okay, if this player opens, what am I going to do? If that player opens, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be three betting? Are they, are the players likely to open tight or narrow? Are they going to be folding to three bets? Should I be three betting here? Or is this a spot where I should never three bet at all unless I have a monster? So all these questions are, are going through my mind. And um, that's what I'm really focusing on in, in real time. And again, it starts with that coming back to the present moment when you know the dealer's cutting the cards, for example, to bring yourself back to the here and now, and then allow yourself to focus on, on what you should be doing. I think that's really good. I think that's such good advice for so many of us recreational players that are like, okay, I'm out of the hand. Whew, now I get to take my take some time off here. And so, you know, you you lose all of the information that happens in that hand. You're not preparing yourself for the next hand. So then what happens, and we see this invariably at the tournaments that I play, you know, somebody opens and then somebody, you know, looks at their hand in, in the hijack and they have no idea what to do. They're like, okay, yeah. how many how many chips do you have? And you just tell her they're just anguished over what to do with their pocket sevens. They just don't, they just don't know because they haven't really prepared that. And so I think that's where maybe what you're saying is, you know, that, that time between hands is, is an op- opportune, opportune time to kind of process that information, prepare you for what are you going to do? And if nothing else, it just, it, you start asking the right questions to put yourself in the right frame of mind. Is that kind of the right way to think about that? Exactly. And if you look at <clears throat> other athletes, you know, I modeled this uh, process after watching uh, some great tennis players that I really admire, like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. If you watch what they're doing in between points, they're getting ready for the yeah. next point. They're not dicking around, you know, and they have, right. they have a routine that they go through, right? So I modeled my power routine, uh, what I do in between hands mentally after what they're doing in, in tennis, where they're like every, you know, they're bouncing the ball and they're like getting ready to serve and they go through this sort of like process that gets them in this flow state so that they're, they're there in real time because they have to let go of the charge of maybe hitting a ball into the net the point prior, or maybe it's match point and everybody in the world is watching. And so, yeah. you know, you have to be ready for those moments when they arise. And I think um, just thinking about, you know, <laughs> Boy Scout motto, I remember from, from, from being a Boy Scout, it's like the motto was be prepared. And it's right. just like one of those things that, uh, that you really have to do in poker. And it's like, it's uh, even more important in a game where it's, you know, objectivity is, is the goal. And it's so easy to let emotions come in and, and cloud decision-making. And so I think in poker, uh, as in life, you know, not letting emotions come into the decision-making process is, is crucial. And anything you can do to sort of mitigate that ahead of the time, a process you can have uh, is great to develop. So I would implore people mm-hmm. to think about that and, and, um, and really make that a practice of poker while they're playing. So to work on not just be better at playing poker, but to be better poker players as well. I love that example. Now you could have picked some better players rather than Federer. And, you know, I mean, those, those guys aren't very good, but you know, we'll, we'll assume that they're, they're, <laughs> you'll next accept players. it. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's so true. I mean, you know, they're, they're sitting there thinking, okay, should I serve to the forehand? Should I serve to the backhand? Well, the last eight times I served his backhand, he went down the line. So I'm going to, you know, whatever, counteract that. Exactly. And I, you know, it's one of the so things, important. And I watch, you know, you, I watch NFL football, uh, you know, and, and you see some of the quarterbacks, you know, when they're on the sideline, they're going through plays, they're going through the screens, and then there's others that are just kind of standing around. And I don't know what the right thing is to do, but I'm always like so angry if my quarterback's not the one that's, you know, looking through and trying to figure out the next plan or well, how are they scheming me, you know? And yeah. so we sort of judge others when they're not, you know, strategizing between uh, action. And, and here we are at the table on our phones or, or whatever. One of the questions I have for that for you for you on this, and this is this is more of a personal question, even though there are others. Uh, that are part of our community that have the same thing is 
Um, one of the things I found when really trying to process all the information, uh, because I'm not a pro, I'm you know a recreational player, uh, and I still do this for fun, I still do it as a hobby, even though I want to win. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I found is that if, if I'm in a tournament, and the ones that I play, long ones, can be like six hours. So I know that's sort of laughable for people that are playing two, three-day <laughs> tournaments. But, you know, the, the tournaments of the local casinos are designed to kind of go four or five hours. Um, yeah, like but, after but, work until, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from, you know, from 6 p.m. till midnight or something like that. Um, but totally. but either, either those or the longer ones, I've played several, you know, multi-day events and that sort of thing. But, like, even at the end of those five, six hours, if I'm, like, on my game, if I'm paying attention, if I'm playing what I consider conscious poker, I'm so mentally exhausted. And I worry a little yeah. bit, like when I get to the final table where the real money is, you know, on the line, I'm so spent from having to pay it from, from paying so much attention and, you know, all of the processing, all this information. I wonder sometimes if I'm better served to just sort of relax a little bit in the first few levels, even, but when I do, I know I'm not paying, playing my best poker. So I, any thoughts on either, you know, either on that principle, maybe some people are, have a greater capacity for this or how do we sort of pace ourselves so that by the time we get to, a position where we're, you know, we're playing three-handed for for bigger money. We're not so mentally exhausted that we're playing suboptimal. Yeah, it's a great question. So I um, have a lot of experience with this because in Macau, the when we played in the big game in Macau, a lot of the games were were private, and so we would get invited to the games, and they would start at 10 p.m. And I would usually get up. I'm a morning person. I would get up not that early in Macau because of my poker schedule, but still, I'd get up at 9, 10 a.m. Yeah. Uh, which was early given the, the structure of our days. So I would start playing a, a session after being up for 12 hours and the sessions would last 24 hours. So I would be up for 36 hours. And obviously, like, like you alluded to, it's, it's so true. The, the stakes, even in cash games, always get higher and bigger as the game goes on. People are stuck. People are tilting. Other players being fatigued is when you could come in and have opportunity. So uh, I really had to challenge myself to be uh, mentally acute even in the, in the you know, 23rd hour when... Uh, arguably all the opportunity was. So yeah. what I found for me personally was basically, you know, I, I would treat myself like a, like an athlete that wanted to be in the best shape possible, like physically and mentally. And so I, I have these pillars in my life that I would really focus on, uh, excelling at like, you know, my, my diet being on point and, and understanding exactly what foods give me energy and make me fatigue and when I should eat and what things I should eat when. Um, and so that was all a, experimentation process of like how to optimize that sort of thing and my sleep patterns and making sure I'm hydrated and drinking enough water. Um, just so many different things that I would, I would you know, exercise like doing, for example, interval training um, to, to increase your stamina. So I would do like sprinting and walking. And then in addition to that, like when I would do this interval training, I would also like sort of mentally envision during the intervals while I'm like sprinting at 10 point or 12 point oh on a treadmill or whatever it is uh like that i'm playing a hand of poker so i would envision myself like under the stressful environment that i'm mm. going to be in to prepare myself for that moment because then when i'm in the moment i'm not sprinting with my heart rate is 160 i'm just sitting so if i can do it when i'm sprinting and, and envision myself correcting the mistakes that i made during my last session or envision myself playing a hand articulating my thoughts about what I think their hand range is and putting them on a range and making these correct plays in these tough situations while I'm sprinting it as fast as I can out of breath on a treadmill, I could do it while I'm sitting. So I would prepare myself physically and mentally. And that's just one example, but there's many of these where I would, I would really prepare myself physically and mentally for the game. And so I would treat myself like, uh, you know, like a, an athlete that wanted to perform at its best. And I understand that's not practical for everyone necessarily, but just 
taking that mindset and approach and then applying maybe one thing, you know, maybe it's an 80, 20 approach where, you know, 20% of the things are going to give you 80% of the results and find those 20. And I think for me, it would probably be diet would be like the most, the thing that I like dictates how I feel the most, like eating whole foods, like healthy foods that work for my body and staying hydrated. Like that's a huge one. Um, and so when I do that, I could focus for hours on end. Uh, sleeping is another part of it, meditating before sessions, like all these things sort of help, you know, but you're going to find what works best for you. And you're going to find like the one or two things that can move the needle to get you in the best shape possible. Um, so I think that's important. And um, as for what you mentioned about sometimes like it's a marathon, not a sprint, like granted in those 24 hour games, I wasn't, I was, I, I think I was paying attention every hand, but there were some times where you just kind of like let yourself check out after the flop. And mm -hmm. so like typically in the hands where it's the least significant, I would turn it off if I had to. So for example, you know, button raises, big blind calls, the flop goes check, check. I'm just checking out yeah. because it's like, okay, <laughs> ranges aren't that complicated. I'm not going to learn that much. The flop was ace high, both players checked, like whatever, you know, it's going to be a small pot. It's maybe going to get showed up, maybe not. Ranges are probably weak. Nobody's really doing anything. And you could always pick back up on the river if there's a check raise, but like, you know, you're, you're pretty confident you can yeah. tune out in a situation where you're not going to miss crucial information. Now, if it goes, you know, open in the cutoff three bet on the button, now I'm starting to pay attention because I'm like, okay, what are their ranges? I want to know if this hand gets to showdown, is the button three betting the cutoff light or did he actually have it? And so then I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention again because I know that this situation is worth my mental bandwidth and it's important. Yeah, that, that's really good. That, that's, that's really good. I think that that preparation piece is a thing that recreational players, myself included, don't take as serious as we should. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's helped a lot. Yeah. So on this note, I meant to, sorry to interrupt, but I did put out a piece of my, content. My Siri just went off because I said the word seriously. <laughs> She's like, listening. sorry, go ahead. She, they're listening to everything. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, I did put out a piece of content called how to prepare for the WSOP. And it's basically the entire prep work I went into to get ready mentally, physically for the WSOP. There's some specifics in there that might not apply to your poker game because it's like, okay, these are things to do at the WSOP, like where to eat healthy, for example. But a lot of it is just generic tournament prep. Like you can apply these things to any tournament, any cash game session overall to you, you preparing for poker games. There's also a video on my YouTube, how to prepare for the WSOP, which, um, goes through this in detail as well. Uh, so that's a really uh, extensive blog post we made available at Conscious Poker. If you could throw it in the show notes too, people yep. can, can get access to that. You'll see in like my entire routine spelled out, like down to the nitty gritty. I'm super detailed. So like the exact interval training exercise I do, for example, like all those sorts of things and more are in there. So check that out if you want uh, specifics for what works for me personally. Yeah, awesome. Well, I know I want to respect your time and we're, we're at we're at time here, but I want to give you a chance. I know we, what, here, here's kind of how I do things. If you haven't figured this out already from our couple of interviews, it's like, okay, here's sort of the structure. We're going to talk about middle pairs, but then I, I like to go where it feels like people are, are passionate and where I feel like it's sort of this unique sort of angle on things because there's a lot of people that can teach us the strategy. So, you know, sorry, I kind of shifted on you, but kind of glommed onto this idea of how do we be present? How do we pay attention? But how do we, how do we do that in a way that, you know, we're still not, we're not dead at the end of our session. So, um, yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I'm glad you touched on it because it's one of those things that like is so important to your bottom line, but then people aren't necessarily talking about because so many people are focused on the strategy. So one of the things I always tell clients is like, there's two ways you can improve at poker. You could be better at playing the game of poker, which is kind of the sexy stuff that everyone wants to focus on. Yeah. But in, in the scope of building a house, that's the equivalent of the artwork on the wall. 
So the foundation of what your house is built on is how good you are as a poker player. Like, how do you manage your bankroll, your mindset, your tilt control, your focus, uh, your, your, your dedication, your purpose for playing, whether you should play cash games or tournaments, like all these things that people aren't talking about that ultimately dictate your bottom line are equally important, right? They're, they're, they're at least 50% of the pie. So I try and take a, a holistic approach and, and tackle it both ways because the ultimate result is that you're going to improve your bottom rate, your, your hourly rate and your win rate, but you can do it two different ways. So I'm glad you touched on some of these, uh, the, some of the latter things that, that we, I don't often have the chance to talk about on, on, on shows like this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's so good, man. I really, I really appreciate the way you think about life, the way you think about, uh, preparing mentally and being conscious. I think those are, those are critical things. And those resonate with me, uh, quite deeply. And I think that would be my challenge to all of rec poker nation out there is as you're thinking about all these strategy things and we get lost in the strategy, don't lose sight of the fact that you've got to, kind of build those strategy things on a, on a strong foundation, which includes our health, which includes our mental state, uh, all of those things. I think that's a critical message uh, from, from Alec. And so Alec, as we, as we wrap up here, I guess, you know, a lot of great stuff. We'll put some stuff in the show notes. You mentioned the YouTube channel. You mentioned a few different things. Like what's yeah. the, what's the easiest way for people that they're saying, man, I love the way Alec thinks I want to connect either on a, you know, just kind of get regular newsletters or what website should I be, you know, tagging? What should I be doing? Like what's the best way for folks to start connecting with you? Yeah, well, a few things. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. at, so I'm at Alec Torelli on all the socials. If you want to follow me, my message, my brand, like things that I tweet about, poker strategy, life lessons, that's all on Alec Torelli on socials. Then we also have all the conscious poker socials. So that's strictly poker strategy. Um, and if you want to grab uh, a, a few things you could do from there that are also great pieces of free content, we have a newsletter that goes out every week. It's actually going out today is Monday. So it's called Crush Mondays. And it's uh, bits of... Pe- pieces of content and poker wisdom from the internet or that I've been, you know, using with like lessons I've worked with clients or, or tactics from the membership. And I share like poker, uh, strategy every week, a poker tip of the week. And then as well as new content that comes out, that's free. You can join that at, uh, consciouspoker.com. You can subscribe and you'll get that every week. And we also have a hand reading system that's free. And this teaches you my thought process for how to hand read, basically how to put your opponents on a range. And I walk you through, this process for how to do that using what's called a hand range funnel, which is this process uh, I invented to narrow down your opponent's range, starting at preflop and going step-by-step through the hand, preflop, flop, turn river until you could eventually figure out the most likely holdings. Uh, and that's obviously what you're trying to do in every hand of poker. So I, I found this uh, really valuable and it's helped uh, a lot of clients and students of ours. And I made that available free at conscious poker. So when you, when you subscribe, um, enter your email, you'll get that download. Um, there is a, it's a free version. There's a paid version as well. Obviously no obligation, uh, for that. And then you'll also get our newsletter every week. So that's an awesome way to get a little closer and, and, uh, check out some of our more premier content as well. It's good stuff, man. I've, I've seen, I think last time we chatted a little bit of the hand reading funnel. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Yep. I think just even that, that concept is so good for newer players. Some of us who've been playing for a while, we, we kind of get hand ranging a little bit. It's still a valuable tool to learn a better. Uh, for sure. But just even that concept, I think for people to start to understand that as newer players, I know we have a lot of newer players out there that understand hand ranging and, and understand this funneling idea and, and check out Alex stuff. Yeah, it, it really is. A- well, one of the, one of the things to keep in mind is that, and, and this is where I see a lot of people go wrong. And, and we, we included this in the guide is that hand ranges can only get narrower. That's why right. it's, it's follows the shape of a funnel. And if you think about a funnel, when you're pouring, you know, water into a funnel and it goes down, it, it, it starts wide and it gets narrower. But the mistake that people make is they, they arrive on the river and I, I ask, you know, I'll ask a, a client, what do you think his hand range is? And they'll tell me a hand that right. we could have eliminated preflop. 
Right. So I, put them on, was, I put them on aces, it, and they ne- but they had never raised. Exactly. So it's like yeah. you can't have a hand on the river that they wouldn't have preflops. So this is just one of the the several concepts we talk about uh, and, and walk through that funnel process. But it's it's really important because when you're analyzing hands in those spots, um, it's important to think linear through this process. And so I think the funnel really helps do that uh, in a way. And there's some exercises you can download too, where you can actually write out your own hand funnel for opponent that you played a hand against too. So that, I think that process of going through it um, really helps people cement their learning and get clear on their thoughts and, and improve at poker as well. Yeah. Well, good stuff from Alec Torelli. A lot of, you know, we, we just, uh, obviously we touch tip of the iceberg stuff here on the podcast. Yeah, but it's yeah. a, but I, what I love is I love, you know, we're a, com- we're a poker learning community, which means I love to introduce people to others. They might not have known or stumbled across or whatever. And, you're one of those folks I think it's really good for recreational players to get to know. So I'd say connect with Alec, uh, you know, dig in a little bit deeper into his stuff, see if it resonates. Not everybody resonates with everybody, but I think uh, totally. there's a really good chance that people are going to resonate with you and how you think about the game and, and that sort of thing. So I appreciate your time. I know it's, it's you're, you've got a crazy busy schedule and we're trying to figure out how do we connect from the U.S. to Italy and all that stuff. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, to hang out with us for a little while today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And come say hi on social media. I'm very active on there. I do read and respond to all my comments. So come say hi on whatever medium uh, suits you best. And uh, I'll see you guys there. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. All right. Thanks, Alec. All right, everybody. Well, thanks once again, Alec. Thanks to those of you who are joining in here and listening in. Uh, Give us feedback. Let us know what you thought of Alec uh, as we continue to look at ways that we can partner and work together on some different things. Uh, I mentioned some things going on earlier in uh, in the announcements phase. Uh, But just the biggest reminder is there's group coaching going on for new players. So whether that's for you or somebody you know that's just trying to get into the game or has never really had structured understanding of some of the terms or or any of the basics, uh, this is a great opportunity for somebody there to jump in. Uh, Also, I'm starting some personal coaching on poker math, kind of introductory to poker math. And this individual that I'm going to be coaching has also uh, said if you want to have other people join that, we can cut the cost quite a bit. So if you're interested in doing some more personalized coaching that's kind of introductory to poker math, that's a strength of mine, and that's something I'm going to be doing here uh, going forward. So just reach out to me on that. Uh, Get plugged in through the email list, Twitter, Facebook. Um, Thanks again to Running Aces, who is our official sponsor and has been so uh, since we started this thing in 2017. And with that, uh, that concludes episode 151. Uh, We'll catch you next time.